My son likes to start his teaching with, by telling jokes. I don't usually do that. I usually am a joke. I, for, for years, I, when we moved to Chicago, it never happened to me in Alabama, but when we moved to Chicago, I'd be preaching, and people start laughing. I had no idea what they're laughing about. Absolutely no idea. And most of the time, I still don't. don't. But, uh, you know, when you, when you want to get in the book, it's important to understand this is God's Word. There's a pilot flying a Learjet across the country, and he had three passengers. He had the richest man in the, in the, in the country. He had the smartest man in the world, and he had a, a punk teenager. Back in my day, they would call him a hippie. Nowadays, you have to call him something else. You, have you ever met anybody that didn't know what a beatnik is? Man, that really dates you. I remember my wife came home one day. She says, I was talking to these young women. They didn't know what a beatnik was. They didn't know who Maynard G. Krebs was. I said, man. What kind of world is that? Now, my granddaughters are back there looking at me like, what's he talking about, Brother Rick? Uh, Grandpa. I told them today, you know, grandkids are the most wonderful thing in the world. One of, one of the reasons is you can send them home. And grandparents are, are the greatest things in the world because they go home. I think my grandkids are about ready to think that's a good idea. But the pilot came to these three guys and he says, fellas, I got bad news, so the plane's going to crash. Nothing I can do about it. I've tried everything. Not going to do. And the real bad news is we only have three parachutes, and there's four of us. Well, the richest man in the world, he grabbed one of them. He says, well, look, I'm the, I'm, I'm the richest man in the world, and if, if I don't get a parachute, I'll sue everybody in the world connected to this airline. He jumped out with a parachute. Smartest man in the world said, well, he grabbed, he grabbed up one. He says, I'm the smartest man in the world. The world would be far worse off without me. He jumped out. The pilot looks at the hippie. He says, well, son, I guess we're going to have to fight it out. He says, that won't be necessary. The smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> Oops. Your smartness isn't what we're after here tonight and this weekend. What we're after is what God's Word has to say. And so we're going to spend some time looking at God's Word. And our topic this weekend is building on the right foundation. And I'm going to begin that tonight by just talking about some of those things that you need to understand about the foundation. Because if the foundation be destroyed, Psalm 11 says, what shall the righteous do? We live in a world where you're watching... The foundation has been destroyed, and you're watching the, the, the crumbling of our culture falling down. And that's because the foundation's been shifted out from under it. And all the things that made our country what it is have, have been, been subverted. And there might be a few older folks or educated folks and, and, and understanding folks like you who still underst who understand what's happening, but the culture itself and, and the thing that, that drive the culture, they don't get it. And so you're watching. So what do you do? Well, in the psalm, psalmist, he's, he's, he's warning not to let the foundation be destroyed. In your life, as a believer, it doesn't make any difference what the culture and the circumstance around you are. This world is not our home. And if you made it, if you made our culture, our, our economy, and our, our politics, and our social justice and so forth, everything that it ought to be, it still would not be our home. It still would be, we'd still be in, on foreign territory. 
because heaven's our home. And that, that's where the truth is. The world system still run by the lie program. The whole world life in wickedness, the book says. And Satan's still the god of this world. So understanding these things, no matter what age it is, no matter what the, the culture is, in season or out of season, all right, we're going to be out of season for a while. And that kind of thing. But you still preach the word. So we're going, to, we're going to go over those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank, we thank you for the opportunity to be in it, to study it for these folks who are willing to come out on a Friday night and, and gather around, fill up a little building like this, to look into your word and to have it taught. We just pray that what we do tonight and what we see will be for the edification of, of, of the saints and uh, for the honor of our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number number 9. I probably ought to get there to read it. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's built husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another buildeth thereon. But ever, let, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul's going to lay a foundation. And the foundation that Paul lays in verse 11 is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is built on him. Everything God ever does from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is built on the work and the person of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. But when you study your Bible, when you read that verse, it tell, you, you, you notice immediately there's something going on here that's different. When Paul says, I have laid the foundation. In other words, I laid down information about Jesus Christ that, that the body of Christ is built on. But if you lay a foundation, when you lay a foundation, you're laying the beginning of a building. If you, 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 when, you, when you build a building, the first thing you do is you, you put a foundation down. And the foundation is the understructure of the building. You're going to build up on the foundation, but this is, what, this, is the found, this is the basis upon which you go. And if Paul is laying a foundation, listen, wasn't there information about Jesus Christ in the Bible before Paul? Sure. Come with me to Romans chapter number 16. Get Romans 16 in one hand and Matthew chapter 16. It's important to understand that in your Bible and in your Bible study, that there are two basic ways that the Lord Jesus Christ is presented in the Bible. Now, Jesus Christ is God manifest in human flesh. He's our Savior that dies for us at Calvary. Jesus sang that song a minute ago about His blood. And He's our Savior. But in the Bible, He's presented in, in two different ways. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 16, verse 25 Paul says, Now to him that's of power to establish you according to my gospel. So there's a message that Paul preaches according to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Notice there is a preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. The revelation of the mystery, this way Jesus Christ is being presented is unique in that it was kept secret since the world began. Now God's been making known things in the Bible since the world began. 
but the way G Paul is presenting Jesus Christ was kept secret since the world began until it was revealed to him. That's a different kind of thing. In Acts chapter 3, verse 21, the apostle Peter says that he's preaching, the things that he's preaching are the, are the things that God has spoken by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. So there's something in the Bible that's been spoken since the world began. We can put that over here and we can call that prophecy. And it's been, it's been spoken since the world began back here. And then there's a, a distinction in here between that and what he calls the mystery. And this over here was kept secret. And you know, you've heard me say this if you've heard me teach at all. And I've said it probably thousands of times. You know, one of the great privileges that for me is, is one of the most humbling things in the world. I get to preach all the time. I preach 10 times a week before I, before I can do anything special. You know, and you think about that. Three times on, at, 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 in, in the pulpit at Shorewood, six times on the radio, and one time on the television. And I do that before I, before I do anything else. That's a wonderful privilege. I get to preach in Chicago on a radio station that covers, that has a potential audience of 13 million people in the Chicagoland area. It costs money, and our congregation pays it. But I get to say the things I'm saying to you tonight. You know what, a, you know what, a, what an amazing thing that is? And they don't tell me I can't do it, and I've been doing it since March of 1992. We have the longest local ministry on that radio station that, 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 that's on there now. And I get to say these things, and I've said thousands of times, because I've said almost every week, there's that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began, <laughs> that which is kept secret since the world began. Listen, a six-year-old flunk kindergarten twice can get that. A preacher that's got a seminary education can speak Greek and Hebrew, write it, write it, and his past can't get it. You don't have to, all that education can kind of hide it from you. But you can see that without any question when you just look at your Bible. Jesus Christ is presented in a special way in prophecy and a special way in the mystery program. Now, how was he presented in prophecy? Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse number 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his apostles. He said unto them, Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Now Simon Peter is the guy that said, What I'm preaching to you is that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Okay. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. That word Christ means Messiah. That's the Greek word for the Hebrew word. Hebrew word in English is Messiah. The Greek word in English is Christ. You know that not because you know Greek or Hebrew. You know that because you know John chapter 1 where it interprets it for you. Your Bible is a fascinating book if you just read it. I was reading an article today and somebody put this thing out. And, they, and, and every time they want to define a word, they, they use Strong's Concordance. That's a common thing among people that don't really know how to study the Bible. Strong's Concordance is probably the, if you were looking to define a Greek word, it would probably be like using Wikipedia to define a word instead of the Oxford English Dictionary. 
it's a very unreliable. It's not. It's not th that uh, it's. Well, it is. It's just unhelpful. <laughs> you know, your Bible defines it. The words you can't define, your Bible defines for you. And when you're reading English, a good English dictionary can help you. Because we live in a day when people really don't know what their own language means. You should never get mad at your Bible if the people that translated your Bible know about English, more about English than you do. It might be a challenge for you to study. Christ, Messiah, both words. They both mean anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who does Peter present him as? The one who's been prophesied all through history in the Bible as being God's Messiah. Verse number 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. There's the revelation of Jesus Christ according to prophecy. He's the Messiah, the King. But I say unto you, I say also unto you, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the fact that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. Whose church? The Messiah's church. That's who he just said he was. And the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Now what program is that? Verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The kingdom of heaven, that's that great kingdom that God prophesied all through prophecy. The goal of prophecy, come back with me to Daniel chapter 2 real quick. The whole goal of prophecy is that kingdom. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar sees this great, this great dream, this great image. It's a picture of the times of the Gentiles when God sent the nation Israel into, into captivity because of their, of their idolatry. He'd warned them and said, if you, don't, if you keep doing it, I'll send you off into captivity. When he does it, they go into Babylonian captivity. God gives, by the way, when he put them into Babylon, Babylon was the first nation that God ever let have the throne of rulership over the world that he'd given to the nation Israel. He never let any nation rule the world up until that time because that's the position he gave Israel. But when he sent Israel into captivity under Babylon, now the times of the Gentile dominion in the earth begins. And he says, here's how it's going to go. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the head of gold. The next kingdom. It's interesting, Babylon... It doesn't say Babylon is the head of God, it says Nebuchadnezzar, because the kingdom of Babylon went all the way back to Nimrod. It had been there. But God had never let any kingdom except Israel have the right to the rulership of the earth, to be, his king, uh, the, king, be the king over the earth until he sent them. And he took that crown from them. Ezekiel says the crown has fallen, has fallen from their head. And he took that position and privilege away from them he put it in the hands of the Gentiles, and you have Babylon, Media, Persia, you know, the, you know the thing. And he says, at the end of the times of the Gentiles, verse number 44, in the days of those kings, those Gentiles, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these Gentile kingdoms. And it shall stand forever, for as much as thou sawest the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, 
and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold. The great God hath made known unto the king that which shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. You can understand prophecy and it's certain and it's sure God himself is going to send his son back and destroy the Gentile dominion in the earth and set up a kingdom in the earth. And Jesus Christ is going to be the root. That's what prophecy has always been about. You see what he, I read the verse because I want you to see verse 44. The God of heaven shall set up a kingdom. What would you call a kingdom if the God of heaven set it up? Could you call it the kingdom of God? So the Bible says, talks about the kingdom of God. Would you call it the kingdom of heaven since the God of heaven set it up? Deuteronomy 11, he says in that kingdom, Moses predicted, he said, it'll be the days of heaven on earth. You know why Jesus told his disciples with the prayer, the Our Father prayer, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Not because you, it's because he's going to bring that kingdom down. You know when he says, our Father which art in heaven, that wasn't a good thing. You know where God was supposed to be dwelling? In the earth, between the cherubim, Psalm 80. He had a, he had a house, he had a place. And when he had left, the glory had left and let Rodichabod on Israel. And the glory of God left, it's going to come back. In prophecy, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the King, and the program is the kingdom program. Then you have a different way he's presented. He's presented as Paul presents him according to the revelation of the mystery where he's the head of the church, the body of Christ. So literally, what you're going to have built on the foundation is you're going to have two kind of buildings that we're going to build on the foundation, but you're going to have one building that's got prophecy in it and one building is going to be Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. They're going to be one building. Sometimes we, we see that distinction and we forget God's only building one building. But it's got two wings in it. I watched Kate back in the floor here today. You know who Kate is? She's sitting on the floor right over there. She's a robot. I watched her. She, she come over here and she starts going between those chairs. And I was worried about it. I said, she worked on that little piece right there, and then she went around over there, and she come back and did it again. And I didn't think she'd get the place clean, so I went and sp sprinkled some stuff around the back back there to see if she'd get it. And she did, finally. I looked it up on the computer when I got home. I said, what is that? I looked it up, and that silly computer in that vacuum cleaner there, 240-plus thousand Memory spots. It kept saying it memorized the room. Well, 240,000 memory stops, I guess it probably did. And it cleaned the thing up pretty good. And I'm thinking, wow, that's weird. And he, Rick said, he said they were thinking about putting a line down the middle of the, of the aisle here so that it would clean one side and then another one clean the other side. And because it, you could put a line in it, it won't go over it. And I thought, well, that's what this is. There's one room, and it's got two sections. You guys are prophecy. You guys are mystery. Y'all look a little mysterious over there, too. <laughs> it, you know, it is a mystery. But you got one. And, but it's one bill. And you have to, when you study your Bible, you need to remember God, God has one program. That's to exalt His Son, to build some things on His Son. He's going to do it in two programs. One prophesied, 
one kept secret until the time came to reveal it. One having to do with the earth, one having to do with the heavens, one having to do with the nation of Israel, that agency, one having to do with the... But it's one big bill. Come with me to Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. Ephesians 2. We talk a lot about Ephesians 2. If you're going to understand how to rightly divide your Bible, you're going to need to master Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following, because that's where the Apostle Paul explains how it is <clears throat> that he understands God lays his, work, his, his programs out. Verse 11, it says, Wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, which are called uncircumcision, but that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, with, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the <coughs> excuse me, covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. <clears throat> in time past, you and I as Gentiles were aliens. Why? Because God worked through the nation Israel. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the promises, foreigners from the promises that God made Israel. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometime were far off are made nigh. Well, what were you made nigh to? Before, you couldn't get in the building. You didn't have any part in the building. Now, we can get in the building. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore... Ye are no more strangers and foreigners. The status of being outcasts that you had back in verse 11 and 12 is not your status anymore because God changed the program. He didn't stick you over here in their program. You know, you've got, we have people we call illegal aliens. He didn't make you an illegal alien. We've got all kinds of, uh, of, of folks in our assembly Probably a third of our assembly in Chicago is, are immigrants, maybe a little more. And it, it's, I shouldn't say, I, I, I need to move on, get that in my mind. But you know, when you've come to America and become a citizen, you immigrate, you go through the process of doing it. It takes five to seven years at least to do it. And you, do, and you, do, and you become a naturalized citizen. You've gained citizenship. You're not an illegal alien. You didn't come in illegally, illegitimately. There's a process you, go, well, you went through and you did it. To stick you in over here as an uncircumcised alien Gentile would be illegitimate. God doesn't do that. So he didn't put you in a, as an illegal alien. What he did is he put you in over here, made a place for you legally in the program. You follow that? So there's... There's a citizenship. We're fellow citizens with the saints. By the way, there's the verse about citizenship. You don't need to go change Philippians 3, verse 20. There's your verse. You're fellow citizens, so there's one kingdom, and we're a part of it. There's this one program. There's an earthly aspect of the kingdom, and it's what Paul calls the heavenly kingdom. But there's one program that we've been made a part of and of the household of God. There's one family of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Of whom the whole family, where? In heaven and earth. So there is a heavenly branch of the family, and there is an earthly branch of the family. See that? But there's one family. You're a part of the household. 
verse 20, and are built upon the foundation. There's only one foundation. So there's one kingdom, one program, a there's, there, there's one family, heaven and earth, and there's one building. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly joined, framed together, groweth into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together with the habitation of God. You are also, in other words, it isn't just prophecy. Now we have a new program over here, and we're a part of it. Now go back to verse 20. You're building upon the foundation. Now who's the foundation? Jesus Christ. So when it says you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are not the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation. But it's Jesus Christ as he is presented and taught and revealed through the apostles and prophets. Follow that? Now, who are these apostles and prophets? Come to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse number 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 7, maybe start there. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he, when he, Christ, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. When did he give the gifts unto men? When he ascended up on high. When was that? After his resurrection, Acts 1, he ascends up on high. Verse number 8, 9. Now that he ascendeth, what is it? But also that he descended first unto the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up, now watch, far above all heavens. When did he ascend up far above all heavens? Well, in Acts chapter 1, when he ascended up, you want to look at it? Better look at it, haven't we? I'm looking at you. You look like, like we better look at it. Look, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, you read about the Lord Jesus Christ ascending back in, 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 into, into heaven. And Acts 1, 9, when he spake these words, Jesus, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by in white apparel, which, said, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Now, what I want you to see, what heaven were they gazing into? Were they gazing into the third heaven? It's been a little hard for them to see that far. They were, they were looking up into the starry heaven. Now come with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Verse number 54. Stephen has preached to the leaders of Israel. Preachers say, well, you know, I will, we want to get a response. Well, Stephen got a response. They pulled a Mike Tyson on him. And they start gnawing on him, chewing on him. 
Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They got convicted. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now that's a bad response. Not good to have somebody wanting to chew on you. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see what? The heavens open. See that? Well, when you read about the heavens, you're not talking about the third heaven, you're talking about the second heaven. By that verse, you want to write down Psalm chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, The response of God the Father to the world casting off their, His Son. In fact, you'll see it quoted in chapter 4 as, as, a, as a reference to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. He that sitteth in the heavens, plural, shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. He shall vex him in his wrath and his sore. He's sitting there at the Father's right hand. The Father said, come and sit at my right hand until I make your foes your footstool. Right there, the Father is ready to send him back to make his enemies his footstool. I want you to see he's in the heavens. Now, Ephesians 4, go back there. Ephesians 4, verse number 9, verse number 10. Verse 8 says that he, when he ascended up on high, he gave gifts to men. Now my question is, when did that take place? When did he ascend up and give gifts? Well, he ascended up in Acts 1 and gave gifts. But verse 10 says this ascension isn't the one in Acts 1. It's when he ascended up far above all heavens. Now when did that happen? That had to happen after Acts 7 because he's in the heavens there. And it had to happen before Acts 9 because that's when he saved Saul of Tarsus and made him Paul the Apostle and gave him the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. You follow that? My point to you is that the giving of gifts in Ephesians 4 didn't take place during the earthly ministry of Christ. It took place after his ascension. So these are not the twelve apostles. The twelve apostles were made apostles in Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke chapter number 6. That's during the earthly ministry of Christ. Early in his ministry, by the way. These apostles were made apostles after his ascension. But it's not Pentecost because he's still in the heavens. These apostles, these apostles and prophets that he gave, verse, verse 11, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they were given after he ascended up far above all heavens. These are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers that worked with Paul. You follow that? Now that's important to get. Because in chapter 2, when it says you're built upon the foundation, he's not talking about you're built on the foundation that the twelve apostles laid. He said you're built upon the foundation that I laid and the other people that worked with me laid. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Which in other ways, talking about the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed in the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Who's it revealed to there? Well, in verse 3, Paul says, How that by revelation Christ made known to me the mystery. In verse 5, he says, The holy apostles and prophets had it made known to them by the Spirit. Is there a difference between Christ and the Holy Spirit? Sure. 
the revelations given to Paul. But look at here. Paul's in one place and he gets information that nobody knew before. Now he knows it. And there are saints all over that territory that he's been preaching to. Now they can get the information too, but they don't have one of these. My grandson has, I got me a new phone. Now it's going to work. I got me a new phone. I can't make it work. I said, I'm going to see my grandson. He'll, he'll show me how. Uh, he, he's on the snooty side. He's on the apple side. I'm on the, the, the normal guy's side. So he had a little trouble. But everybody's got, the, my, my granddaughter and my, my wife were talking at the house doing some things. And they just, Daniel just took the phone and touched Cynthia's phone. The information goes over there. I was having to type it in. That's the screwiest thing. You know, if, if, you, if you're less than 30 years old, that don't make a lot of sense to you. I like it. I like it. I love it. I use it. But they didn't have that. You know, the old saying, the fastest means of communication is telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. They didn't have that. That's a joke, okay? Don't get, don't get upset about it. But they had a means where that's why those sign gifts and those spiritual gifts were in operation. The gifts of knowledge, word of wisdom, all that's why they were in operation before the word of God was finished. One of the things they were were a sign to the nation Israel. But they weren't just useless signs among the body of Christ because once a revelation was given, those apostles and prophets in the local churches could then be given that information and have it laid out for them. You follow that? Now, that's, that's really not what I'm talking about tonight, but that's important to kind of get that in your mind. There was a mechanism where once the information was given to Paul, it was made available by the Spirit to all the other members of the body of Christ. So these apostles and prophets that, that are working with Paul and getting that revelation, they're laying out the information about Jesus Christ, and that's what we're built on. But it's still the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's still the foundation. So when you go back with him to Romans 1. So when you look at the foundation, it's important. This foundation has got parts to it. It starts off with what Paul calls the gospel of God. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, there's good news that God has been proclaiming, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. This is good news that God has been proclaiming in his word from the very beginning concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was now... In a minute, you go down to verse 16, and you'll see there's another gospel title. It's called the Gospel of Christ. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. The Gospel of God, found all through His Word, is about Jesus Christ. Here's the source. Here's the subject. You know what God's been doing throughout His Word? He's been proclaiming good news is coming, and the good news is about my Son. 
What about him? Verse 3. Which, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. So there's a message about a seed that's coming. And it's going to be the seed of David. Now, before he could be the seed of David, he had to be what? The seed of the woman. The good news starts in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve sin, and God says, I'm going to send a redeemer. And the seed of the woman is going to destroy the seed of the adversary, and it's going to provide redemption. And as you go through the book of Genesis, you see that seed. In Genesis 4, Cain and, uh, uh, Adam and Eve have a, have a son. God, they have Cain. And the first thing they say is we've gotten a man from the Lord. They thought that's the seed line. By the way, Adam was a farmer. Till the garden. What was Cain? He's a farmer. Daddy took him in the family business. Trained him in the family business. They love that. They thought he's the seed. Turned out not to be. You go to Genesis 5, and Lamech has a boy named Noah. And it says maybe he'll be the seed. They're, they're looking for the seed. Now the seed turns out to be the seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham because that's when God makes a covenant with man because man hadn't been able to do anything. He makes a covenant and a seed line becomes the seed of Abraham and the seed of Abraham becomes the seed of David who becomes the Messiah. Okay? So here's good news from God. And by the way, Paul preached this good, he preached the gospel of God Come with me to 1 Thessalonians, or come, come on with me to chapter 15, Romans 15. Because the God, go back to Romans 1 just a second. I, didn't, I need, to, need to read the next verse. Romans 1 verse 3. Concerning his son, here's the gospel of God. Concerning his son, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the resurrection of the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. So the, the gospel of God had to do with the seed line. David is the, is the king. The kingdom comes through there. But it also has to do with this other message that he gives to Paul. Because from the risen Lord... To the resurrection in verse 4. And it's from that risen Lord that Paul received his apostleship. Now there's only one man ever made an apostle by Jesus Christ directly after the resurrection. And it wasn't any of the twelve. It was Paul. And if you say, well, it had to be Matthias. Well, Christ didn't do that directly. But that also was before he ascended up far above all heaven. See how that works out? That's important, these little details. So here in this text, the gospel of God is, is talking about it's the way Israel understood Christ, but it's also the way Paul now adds information that they didn't know about, about Jesus Christ. So when you read about Paul preaching the gospel of God, chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises unto the fathers. So in his earthly ministry, Christ was Israel's uh, uh, 
minister. Verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I write, have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that was given to me of God that I should, and he calls that grace in Ephesians 3.8, he says, for the grace that was given unto me that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. When Paul talks about the grace given to me, he's talking about that special ministry that he got. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering what? The gospel of God. Now when Paul preached his message, he calls it, here's good news for the Gentiles from God. And it's concerning his son. And it has to do with the message that he gave me after the resurrection, because that's when I got my grace and apostleship. Come with me to 1 Thessalonians. I'll just use a couple of these verses because it's important that you, you understand that when Paul preached the gospel of God, he was preaching his gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 5. For our gospel came unto you, in, not, in, not in word only, but also in power. When Paul went to the Thessalonians, he pre what gospel did he say he preached? Our gospel. Three times he says, my gospel. Established according to my gospel. Secrets of men be judged by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He's talking about that special revelation given to him. Hold your hand and look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 14. Whereunto he called you by what? Our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't preaching a kingdom gospel. He's preaching his message. His gospel, Christ died for the sins, was buried and rose again the third day for their justification. He was preaching that message, and that's what called the Thessalonians out of darkness, out of idol worship, into serving the living and true God. Okay, he's preaching the gospel. I'll show you a minute. He called it the gospel of grace. Paul also calls that gospel that he's preaching, chapter 2, For yourselves, brethren, know, are entering in unto you, that it was not in vain, even after, but even after that we were suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to preach unto you, what? The gospel of who? God. Isn't that interesting? Verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Now, there are people who try to make the gospel of God something other than what Paul's gospel was, but these verses don't. If you think the gospel of God is something other than what Paul preached and call it the gospel of the grace of God, you know more about it than Paul did. Now, I'm going to be bold in my statement I'm going to believe Paul knew about what he preached, knew more about what he preached than you do. So if you disagree with Paul, well, that's between you and him and the Lord. But the idea of the gospel of God is that, that there is good news God's going to send, and it's good news about his son, and it has to do with something he's been talking about from the foundation of the world, from the time he put man in the earth, and it has to do with that, that program back there with Israel and the seed line. But listen, you and I have been included in that. I Listen, the Messiah, well, every time you say the gospel of Christ, the gospel of the Messiah, you know who the Messiah is? He's the seed of David. 
But now we know something about the seed of David they didn't know. We've got this special edition of information that was kept secret. You with me? Just one verse, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Just so you know, Pete says he preached this same gospel. 1 Peter 4 verse 17. For the time has come that, the ju that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end, of, uh, uh, end be of them that obeyed not the gospel of God? So the gospel of God is preached in both programs. The good news of God about the Messiah that's prophesied, and now there's good news about that Messiah that they didn't know about, that you and I have been included too. And it's called the gospel of Christ. Come with me to Mark chapter number 1. Now you know that Paul preached the gospel of Christ. In fact, if you go back to Romans 15 there, get, get Mark 1 and look at Romans 15 while you go in there. Romans 15, we looked at verse number 16 about ministering the, to the Gentiles the, the, the gospel of God. But look down at verse 19 when he describes the details of his preaching among the Gentiles. Romans 5, 19, 15, 19. Through mighty, or verse 18, 15, 18. For I will not dare to speak any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. And verse 16, how do you say he made the Gentiles obedient? How do you include them? That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ of the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. But verse 16, he said they, they were made acceptable through the gospel of God. And verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders and the powers of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around about to Eliakim, I have fully preached the gospel of God. He didn't say that. So Paul thought when he preached one, he's preaching the other. One is the source, the other is the subject. Okay. Now, come back with me to Mark chapter 1. I'm teaching the book of Mark on Wednesday night in our ministry. Just in case anybody ever says, well, you guys don't study anything but Paul's epistles. You know, just blow that smoke out the window. It just isn't true. But people that say that don't care if it's true or not because they don't, they, they don't pay attention to what you do anyway. But just so you know. And any book I teach is my favorite book at the time. And the book of Mark is a fascinating book. It's the last book in the New Testament that I haven't taught, so I'm teaching it. And it's just a wonderful book. Fascinating presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ in, in, in the context of him being the, the, the servant of the Lord. But notice how it starts. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where did the gospel of Jesus Christ begin? Where did the good news about Jesus Christ begin to be accomplished in the earth? Mark chapter 1. With the earthly ministry of Christ. Who is the seed of David? You see, that term gospel of Christ applies in that program just like it applies in our program. Now, there's another gospel. It's called the gospel of peace. You know what the gospel of God, the good news about his son's going to produce? It's going to produce peace. Come with me to Romans chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter 6. Romans chapter 10 
Romans 10, Ephesians 6. You could get Isaiah 52, but you don't have to. Because I want to, I want to, I want to move on. We we got seven minutes left, and I'm not going to get everything in in seven minutes. So forget about the seven minutes. <laughs> you never get everything in anyway. Okay. Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. He says, "Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." Be very careful when you quote that verse because that verse makes people think that they get saved by praying. And you don't get saved by praying. How do I know? Look at the next verse. How should they call upon him in whom they have not believed? You know what you have to do before you pray? You've got to believe. John, John chapter 9, some guys say, don't you know that God doesn't hear sinners? Isn't that an interesting idea? Praying doesn't get you saved. A, prayer is a work. You don't get saved by works. When you believe, then prayer would become the natural act of a believer. Okay? So this, this, this passage you've got to be careful about. How should they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how should they believe in whom in whom they've not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. By the way, that's a great way to define the word gospel. Glad tiding of good things. We sometimes say good news. Your Bible says glad tidings. Same thing in Luke chapter 4. Now, that's a quote out of Isaiah 52. So in Israel's program, and, and by the way, Matthew, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about Israel and how we're to look at Israel today. In prophecy, God had promised in prophecy to bring peace. And he sent some people, God sent some good news through the seed of David that was going to produce peace. Now where was it going to produce peace? We sing that we, we, at Christmas time coming up. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace. Goodwill to men. Everybody wants world peace. Well, it only comes. What did God promise? What did we see earlier that that kingdom that he's going to establish, what does that kingdom do? It produces peace on earth and goodwill to men. And what God has been prophesying and promising from the time he made that seed promise, that seed line, that through the seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to produce peace in the earth through the instrumentality of the nation of a kingdom vested in the nation Israel. And that's what God's been revealing. But when you come to Paul, you find out He's going to produce peace in a different venue. Come with me to Colossians, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Talking about the whole armor of God. Verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. So the gospel of peace, the God of heaven has promised through the Lord Jesus Christ, a new message that's going to produce 
a new kind of peace in a new realm. Come with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, I say whether they be things where? In earth or things in heaven. Now what in the world is that talking about? Well, go back to verse 16. You see how there's going to be peace in two realms, earth and heaven? Isn't that fascinating? So the blood of Jesus Christ produces peace in earth and in heaven. Turns out God's got a program to do it in earth, and now he's going to have a program to do it in the heavens. You're in verse 20. Look down to verse 25, 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in, my, in his flesh, or his, uh, in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I made a minister, made a minister of the church, according to the dispensation of God that's given me, to me, for you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and generations, but now is made known to his saints. So Paul says, I got a ministry here that I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ. I made a ministry according to the dispensation of God. Here's God giving out this information that back there they don't know about, but now it's revealed, and it has to do with them producing peace in the earth and in heaven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how these gospels are producing a building? Now, what is he talking about? Reconciling things in heaven, made peace in heaven and earth through the blood of his cross, verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. I had a kid ask me recently, Brother Rick, what's it going to be like to be invisible? Well, I don't know. I've never been invisible. <laughs> I won't mention his name, but one of the brothers here tonight said he could slide through the crack in the door. He's so skinny. I never had that problem. <laughs> this particular brother, he's here tonight. I won't tell you who he is, but you can guess. If he turned sideways, stuck his tongue out, you'd think he was a zipper. <laughs> skinny little guy. Paul drank a water too, but if he drank water, there'd be a bulge in the zipper. I don't know what it's like to be invisible, but we will one day. Because there's a realm that you can't see up there. We can't. What's he talking about? Whether it be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All these things were created by him and for him. And in verse 20, all those things are going to be reconciled by the blood of his cross. But look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Why is Jesus Christ the head of the church, the body of Christ? Why did you need a body of Christ anyway? That he might be the first, uh, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all what things? All things on earth and heaven, he might have preeminence. Now think that verse through a minute. 
He doesn't need the body of Christ to have preeminence in the earth because he's got a means to do it, a kingdom vested in the nation Israel, and he's been talking about it since he started the Bible. Matthew 25, when Jesus takes those sheep nations into the kingdom, he says, Come, ye blessed of my Father. Here's the Abrahamic blessing. Them that bless thee, I'll bless thee. Them that curse thee, I'll curse. They've blessed Israel. And he says, Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From the time God put man on the earth. He made man out of the dirt. We are of the earth earthy. You're not part of the angelic creation. They were made ahead of you. He made you out of dirt, lower than the angels, so you could suffer death. When you die, your body goes back to the dirt. Back in the bygone era, I read a, a chemist said one time that the chemicals and the, the minerals in, the, in, a, in a human body is worth about $1.89. Now, that was back in the 70s, so you're probably worth about 350 now. <laughs> Inflation. I mean, 10 bucks. We'll make, you, we'll make you worth it. But that ain't much. You know, my wife go to Starbucks twice and we spent more than that. Our bodies just go back to dirt. And the reason for that is that God took some dirt, spit in that dirt, and made a mud man. And told Satan, I'm going to win it all back from you with that. What do you think you're doing? You're not smart enough to do that. I'm the, and God said, you watch me. And he kept a realm of knowledge and information secret. First Corinthians 2 says that we speak the wisdom of God on a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world began under our glory. But it kept it secret until it's revealed to Paul which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All of this is built on the foundation of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what verse 20 says. Having made peace with the blood of his cross. But he's made the head of the body so he can have preeminence not just in the earth, but now he's got an agency to have preeminence in the government of the heavenly places. And Paul says he's he, he talks about the heavenly kingdom. There is another branch to the kingdom program. You with me here? This, thing's called, this thing over here is called the gospel of the circumcision because it focuses on the nation Israel. This is called the gospel of the uncircumcision because now none of that stuff, prophecy doesn't, you can be in that all you want to. He says circumcision availeth nothing today. Uncircumcision doesn't count against you. The only thing that counts is the new creature. What God's doing is he forms the body of Christ. It doesn't make any difference what kind of religion you've got or you don't have. What counts is whether you've trusted God's Son as your Savior. And you've put your faith exclusively in Jesus Christ who went to Calvary and died to pay for everything that's wrong with you and God raised him so he could give you life in place of your death. That little girl that we buried last Sunday, last Saturday, we could, we could go today. God, you know, people say, why would God let, let something like that happen to a precious little girl like that? God didn't do that. Sin did it. Sin did it. Year before last, well, not this year, last year, we had a 23-year-old 23 23 young man left home on an afternoon. It was getting to be about this time of year, actually. Spring, 
December. Oh, okay, well, this time of year. Close enough. And we had a warm day. And he, he, he loved to ride motorcycles. And he went and got on that motorcycle and took off about 4 o'clock to ride on that nice warm afternoon. He never come home. He got run over by a box truck and killed him like that. Had his funeral. And we people stand up and give testimony and so forth. And a guy gets up and he says, it's okay to blame God for this. You know, sad, sad. You know what Adam did when, when God says, where are you, Adam? He says, uh, 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 it's the woman you gave me. He wasn't blaming Eve. He's blaming God. You gave her to me. It's your fault. And that's what we do. We like to blame God for things. Genesis 3, you find every answer to every problem and why they're happening in Genesis chapter 3. It's strange. It's wonderful, but it's strange. Human nature doesn't change any. Everything about you is already laid out right there. People like to blame God for problems. God gave the solution to the problem. Listen, the world we live in is not dying for a lack of love. It's dying in spite of the greatest love you could ever know. God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There isn't any bigger love than that. But people don't like to retain God in their knowledge. We'll do it ourselves. We don't you tell us what to do. We'll be our own God. Well, you can't be your own God, but you can try. And what it does, when they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them up to a reprobate mind. He said they knew me, that they wouldn't glorify me as God. They became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, but became fools. And they changed the glory of God into, into an image, into a lie. And they embraced, they took the truth of God, changed it into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator. And that lie program that you learn from the adversary is to make yourself God, not God. Salvation's in saying, I'm, I'm not God. And you turn from idols, you turn to God from idols, and you rely exclusively on what God did for you to solve your problem. And you can look everywhere else you want to look. It won't work. But God says, there's the answer. It's in my son. Trust him. But listen, that's the answer, the only way any of this gets accomplished. Now, one other verse, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Verse 24, the Apostle Paul, describing his own ministry, says, But none of these things move me, Acts 20, 24. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. You remember Romans chapter 1, verse 5? By the resurrected Christ, ascended Christ, glorified Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. I've received grace. That I, uh, unto me who am less than the least of all sins is this grace given that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Here's Paul describing what he the, the ministry he received from Christ. Okay? To testify what? 
the gospel of the grace of God. So when Paul puts a name on the gospel that he preaches and the message that he's proclaiming, he calls it the gospel of the grace of God. That's why it's called the dispensation of the grace of God. First Corinthians, he says, a dispensation of the gospel has been permitted, get, committed to me. What was the gospel call that the dispensation of the gospel is committed to him? Paul says it's the gospel of the grace of God. When he says a, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me, he's not talking about a different dispensation than what's in Ephesians 3. He's talking about exactly the same dispensation because he tells you the name of the gospel is the gospel of grace. He said, that's the message that I received as a part of my ministry, as my ministry to testify. So what's going on over here is this hidden program to form the body of Christ. Now, why is it hidden? Well, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 in your Bible, and mark it down so you understand why there was a mystery. Because if Satan had known what God was going to do through the cross work of Christ, he'd have never crucified him. The cross is prophesied, predicted, a redeemer is predicted. You read through Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 49 and Psalm chapter 22 and so and you can go through, you can see it. You read Genesis 20, you can see it now back there. Obviously he had it planned. He just didn't make it clear. Why? Because if Satan had been able to figure it out, he'd have said, I better not crucify him. Satan's boast was always, wow, you're so wise, there's no secret can be kept from you. There's a verse in Ezekiel 28 where it talks about the beauty of his wisdom. He didn't, I mean, he strutted his stuff and thought he was good looking. But he really thought he was wiser than, any, than God himself. That he ought to be the most high. Because he qualified better than, and God said, I can handle you. It's always fascinated me. In Romans 1, when, when the Gentile nations turned, he says he just gave them up. God isn't sitting up in the heavens going, oh, I wonder what they're going to do next. He just says, those bunch of fools want to do it their way. Watch what happens. He did that with Israel. He did that with the Gentiles. He'll do that with you. You can go on your way, do it your way. And you know what? What you reap, you'll sow. I did that backwards, didn't I? What you sow, you'll reap. And God knows that. And God's patience is, he's patient enough to let you do that. So that maybe you come to yourself. Let's build on the right foundation. The foundation is the good news God is, has that he's going to send a redeemer. He's promised that redeemer in Israel. The seed of the woman became the seed of David and brings peace through the prophetic program the kingdom vested in the nation Israel, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the circumcision, that through Israel, God's going to bless the earth. But then he had another program because there's more than just the earth. In the beginning, God had created the heaven and the earth. And he's got a, a message from God that he's promised, that he's planned. I love that verse in Titus 1, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie, you know that, promised 
before the world began, before this program over here, before he promised, but hath in due times made manifest his preaching, his word through the, through the preaching committed to me. There's that mystery. So God has planned to do something through the Lord Jesus Christ to bring peace in the heavenly places by forming a body of believers called the church, the body of Christ, the gospel of the uncircumcision in an unprophesied dispensation that manifests the purpose of his grace. And then he says that that's just one house because one verse and we'll be through Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Verse number eight, verse number nine, I'm sorry. By the way, most of you thought I was going to draw the right division chart tonight, didn't you? <laughs> you didn't know I was going to build a little house. I pull, but I taught you the same thing. You see that? Ephesians 1, verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Talk about God the Father has revealed to you the secret of his will. You ever hear preachers talk about the eternal decrees and the eternal counsels of God and eternity past? And they talk about them like you can't know them. you got such stupid theological terminology as lapsarianism and sublapsarianism and superlapsarianism, and you say, who is what and what is them? And then they write books of thousands of pages, big tomes, trying to explain those things and the difference between them and why you should believe one instead of the And you know what it all is? It's just a bunch of blind bats flying backwards in a dark cave. And they're going to go, that and leave their brains on the wall. They'll be like the bumblebee that hit the guy's windshield. What was the last thing that went through his mind? His tail. And he won't have the brains to do that again. <laughs> Verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation... By the way, that verse, that, that, that's a profound verse. The secret will of God has been revealed. The thing he planned before the world began, he has revealed. And if there's anything he hasn't revealed, that verse isn't true. Because he says he's made known to us the, the mystery of his will, which he purposed in himself. And that's before the foundation of the world. Everything God has thought about and planned to do in his creation, he's revealed, and it's in that book in your lap. So there's no secret will of God for you to go look for. You want to know the will of God for your life? It's in that book. And you don't have to run around using circumstances and impressions and hunches and maybes and history and, and hope for and theology to find God's will for your life. You just get in that. Chapter 4, he says, I beseech you, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Well, what's the vocation? Well, he just wrote three chapters telling you. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God before ordained that you walk in them. Those good works are in your Bible. You don't have to run around and say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's a whole bunch, a whole big stir going on in evangelical. The evangelical industrial complex is falling down around its knees today. 
the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the world, is falling apart today. Within the next five years, they're going to have a woman as president, Beth Moore. And that's being pushed on every hand in the Southern Baptist Convention today. And they're having a big stir right now this week on the Internet, mocking John MacArthur. Bless his heart, an 80-year-old preacher down in Southern California that you know about on the radio has stood up and said, women preachers are unscriptural. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know it's true. And he's had the courage to stand up in front of his congregation and on his radio and his TV and the Internet and say, women preachers are unscriptural. And people say, what about Beth Moore? He says, she should go home, get out of the pulpit. And you know what? He's right. Now, he might say it more, you know, in a way. And they just up in arms about it. You know why they're up in arms about it? Because they don't care, give a hoot about what that book says. They've got a political, social agenda that they want to push. And it is eaten the heart out of the largest Protestant evangelical denomination on the planet. The world's in a mess, folks. And they're talking about, we need to find God's will. And Beth Moore, listen, here's a woman, and she's a, you know, I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. She teaches stuff, got books and stuff. I didn't know who she was until about two years ago. But she says that God talks directly to her. She just had a TV program. I've seen the thing where she talks about being in the airport and God telling her, go comb a guy's hair. Now, you're a nut if you say that, that God spoke to you audibly and directly and specifically. That's the way she said it. Go, not, not just in, she said, most time God's just impressions in my heart, which is all is just heartburn. <laughs> but here God says, comb his hair. And I said, Lord, I'm your ambassador. I'm supposed to preach the gospel. He said, don't preach the gospel to him. Comb his hair. You are a nut. You are a superstitious nut to believe that. And there are people that are leaders in evangelicalism defending that against John MacArthur, reading 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think John MacArthur's a nut myself, but not on that. And he's not he's not as nutty. You know, he's just off on some things. And I, re I guess I said, my heavens. That verse right there can help you with that. You know, there's no verse in the Bible that says, comb that guy's hair. <laughs> so you know how, how I know God didn't say that? Because God doesn't speak today through... Impressions, signs, out, he doesn't speak outside the Bible. Now, if you asked Beth Moore if she believed in God revealing things outside the Scripture, she'd say no, but then she'd say that. You know what that is? A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. You don't know why they are falling all over themselves. That's it. And when the lie program gets in there, that's it. I'm telling you, you need to build on a foundation that won't shift under you. And if you don't understand that stuff right there, those two programs built on the authority of God, God himself put in his son, you'll never have the peace that that understanding will bring you.
and the stability in your life. And if you do, you can. Just that simple. Now, verse 10, here's the purpose, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, whether it be in heaven or earth. God wants to gather together in one house all things in heaven and earth. He has an agency to do it. The nation Israel and the earth, the body of Christ in the heavens. He revealed this program through prophecy since the world began. He kept this program secret till he revealed it to Paul. It's God's plan. It's accomplished through his son. And it's going to bring peace in all those realms through the blood of his cross. And if you want to have stability in your life as a believer, you need to get that. You start being a grace believer by getting saved, by believing the gospel of grace. And when you get saved, you're a grace believer. Now, if some religious system comes along and calls you off into error, Paul said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ into another gospel. That can happen. Or you can be like the Corinthians and say, I know it, but I think I'll live my way anyway. The Corinthians are the flesh. The Galatians are the law. Both those are flesh. The Corinthians are the Charismatics, and the Galatians are the Calvinists. They're all around you. One goes to the lasciviousness. One goes to the asceticism, the good, the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, human good and human evil. And they all take you away from who God made you in Christ. Build on the right foundation. Understand the difference between prophecy and mystery. Understand where your program is in the Bible. But understand we aren't the only thing God's doing. He's got a whole big program. And study all of your Bible in light of that one house and the two divisions. And don't run over here and be an illegal alien. And if you do, don't get so mad about illegal aliens around you in the flesh when you're being a worse illegal alien in things that last forever. Okay? Praise the Lord. All right, that's what I wanted to say, so I said it. <laughs> Let me say one other thing, and I'll, I'll just repeat myself now. If you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ personally, people watching on the Internet, there's not a chance in the world that in a crowd as big as this or as many people there that there aren't people. You say, well, why would there be a place like this? I would have been as an unsaved person in a meeting like this. I was raised in church. Never a time in my life I didn't know that Jesus Christ was God who died on the cross and paid for my sins and was resurrected. Never a time I didn't know that was true. But I thought the way you got the benefit of that was your work. You did something. And the night I realized and heard that you come to salvation just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. When I realized that it was not anything I did, it was what he did, and I relied exclusively on him. I passed from death to life. 
Like a lightning bolt struck in my heart. That's how you get saved. To him that works not but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You'd almost better be off, be, be someone that never set foot in a church and hear that message than somebody that lived in religion all your life and heard it and thought that your religion was going to help you get there. But when you do what the Thessalonians said, you turn to God from idols. That's the key. And if you've never trusted Christ exclusively, this is a good time to do it. It's appointed a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. You face God, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The only answer is going to be his blood. His blood is all my plea. Nothing else will do. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pray. You don't have to move a muscle. You don't have to make a deal. You don't have to give up anything. You just trust his, him. And all the rest of that stuff take care of itself. So if you never did that, that's how you start building on the right foundation. And once you do that, you're going to be here in the morning at 9 o'clock and hear the rest of it. Our Father, we thank you tonight for your love and your grace to us in Christ. We'll give you the praise for that in his name. Amen. Okay.